0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, we're so glad you joined us this morning, and I just want to Remind you that we're going through First Peter uh, together, and so each week we're taking a, a chunk, a section of the the book. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at First Peter chapter three, verse eight through seventeen. But as you're turning there, I just wanted to remind you about something that's just started last week that we will continue to do for the next uh, four to six weeks or so is our food drive. Uh, So TBC uh, partners with TISD and we work together with them. uh, Each elementary school in the community, I was able to go visit with each counselor over the last few weeks and talk to them about the opportunity we have to help support families in need. So each elementary school will send us five families And uh, we will help support them through food and uh, gifts when it comes to Christmas as well. Uh, so make sure you look at the um, different displays out in the lobby and in Creekside and at the Outback, but we also have it online on the Hub. We have an Amazon wish list to make it nice and easy for you. All you have to do is order and click and it gets delivered to us. Uh, we can also go shop physically, but we love your help. We will help over 50 families this year, which we do every year. And also if you're a family here that might need help or you know of somebody, make sure you email me because we can also add them as well. So be on the look out for the food drive and hopefully you can just bless these families in a crazy way. It's always fun to watch them uh, be able to get all these different items that will be helpful for them. So First Peter chapter 3 verse 8 through 17 is what we're looking at. Uh, living out the gospel. And so throughout our time in this amazing book of First Peter we've touched on different topics, whether they be holiness or hope, spiritual maturity, salvation, authority, suffering, and uh, marriage last week. The last two weeks have been on some pretty heavy topics and pretty difficult topics, but I know Dave and Chase, they did an amazing job bringing us through those two passages But today we're going to look at an all-encompassing passage, almost like Peter saying, uh, hey, if I missed you the last few weeks, guess what? This is for you. So we have this all-encompassing thing that helps push us to live out the gospel. It's interesting to look at the first word of our passage today in verse 8. He says, finally. When I first looked at that and kind of looked at it in detail, I was like, well, uh, this is weird because Peter sounds like a pastor who says like, all right, uh, this is the uh, conclusion, but it's really not. He keeps going on and on because there's actually two more chapters in the book. So this can't be what Peter's saying, even though we pastors do that sometimes. But what he's doing is actually he's saying finally, because he's wrapping up the two previous sections that we just studied over the past two weeks. He's saying, if you're one who suffers unjustly, if you're one who's going through difficulty, if you're going through a difficult marriage, all these different things, he's basically bringing these all to a head and saying, no matter what you're going through, you are called to live out the gospel. No matter what stage of life or circumstance you find yourself in. So we have two points today that we're going to look at. One is the encouragement to live out the gospel in verse 8 through 12. So let's check that out. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So as we think about this first half of this passage, Paul, uh, Peter finally, uh, basically gives an overview. He gives an overview about what he's about to talk in verse eight, I would talk about in verse eight. He says he's talking about unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind is what he features. And one of the things that we need to look at right off the bat is these things are impossible on our own. If we try in our own power to ac- accomplish any of these five things, we're going to have difficulty because we just can't do it. We can try and maybe get good at it for a little while, but it's impossible to continue. So it's important for us to see that the source of this power is not our own, it's from the Spirit. Verse nine through 12 takes some time to basically unpack verse eight. And actually 10 through 12, Peter gives a direct quote from Psalm 34, 12 to 16. So we actually see him quoting the Psalm of David. So we need to remember that Peter's original recipients were going through intense suffering. This was a difficult time for them. They were having such heartache and pain, trying to live out their faith and just being persecuted left and right. So it's important for us to see these commands come out of that. And one of the commands he gives here in this next verse in 9, verse 9, he says, don't repay evil for evil. See, this is a very personal thing for them. And I don't know about you, but when things get difficult, or when culture or society or the government or whatever it is pushes us, or maybe it's other people that do things that are evil against us, our knee jerk reaction is to respond and to get angry and to speak out and lash out and and do things that are like, take the gloves off, it's time, let's go. Now, there is time for that, depending on the circumstance. We saw Jesus do that a few different times. But for the most part, Jesus lived out in this way, this humble mind and this gracious spirit. It wasn't always looking for a fight. It it wasn't always getting back at someone, repaying evil for evil. Now, you have to realize that as you live your life, you're taught something different. Our world teaches everybody, including myself, all of you, it teaches us to really get back at people. Whether it's through sports, you know, you got this offensive lineman that pancakes this defensive lineman, and he's going to get back up. And what's he going to do? He's going to beat him next time. I'm not going to stay on the ground. I'm going to come back at you, right? It could be in sports, it could be in education. You know, you get knocked down, you get back up and, and you, maybe you got hurt by a professor or whatever and you're gonna come back and, and get back at him. And, and I'm gonna show them, right? And so in our society and, and just at large in our, our experience, oftentimes we're taught something different, but we realize that that's not brotherly love as seen in verse eight throughout scripture. You see, this is the opposite of brotherly love, getting back at someone and brotherly love is actually connected often to hospitality. You know, it's difficult to entertain a neighbor who's getting on your nerves at your house for dinner and still stay angry at him. You could do it. Put something in their food, you know, and I give them an upset stomach later, right? But that's not the idea. And so Hebrews even gives us this call in chapter 13, one and two, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And you never know, that neighbor might be an angel because you entertain angels unawares. And so the idea is brotherly love is something that reaches out. It's not just the concept of putting up with somebody. It's actually reaching out to help that person that is actually harming you. It's a very difficult concept, but it's commanded here. But I love again in scripture over and over again. I say this from the stage that most often when scripture gives you a command, a negative command, it gives you something positive to do. And what does he say in verse nine? He says, don't repay evil. But then he uses one word, five letter word, I believe, not a four letter, five letter word. He says, bless, bless. Instead of repaying evil for evil, bless. This ties in back to verse eight into sympathy, into unity of mind. See, Jesus speaks pretty bluntly about this in Luke 6, 27 and 28. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Paul ties this command together in Ephesians 4, 32 on forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This kindness that's extended to individuals that don't deserve it, can cause them to come to repentance. We saw this in, in the last section that we studied last week. When a woman is married to a man who has an, is an unbelieving husband, is a person that doesn't care about God, her uh, demeanor toward him can often bring him along to repentance. And here we have it as well We'll reference Paul a lot because Paul and Peter is like they hung out a lot. They had these same concepts in their mind that the spirit gave them. Romans 2, 4 says, literally, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So the kindness of God towards us leads us to repentance. Our kindness towards others can lead them to repentance as well. And once again, this isn't an easy command. Don't repay evil for evil. But it's possible So what motivates us? What inspires us? What enables us? Well, the church answer is a great one. The Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus did it. He was paid evil left and right, and he didn't repay evil in return. And because he did it, we now have the power to do it through him and through the spirit that lives inside of us. So verse nine, as we bless, it's interesting, it says we obtain a blessing. Now this is kind of a hot button issue, the fact that Peter connects action with reward. But if you study scripture, it shouldn't be surprising. Rewards are all over scripture. There's blessing for different things and it's listed very clearly. But some of us uh, have gotten confused on this issue. We've embraced this idea that just because we give a certain amount of money, just because we give a certain amount of time, just because we have these actions, we should instantly be rewarded physically, whether it's money or whether it's something in our, our, our house or whether it's a new car or whatever it is, fresh J's, I don't know, whatever it is that you like, that's what you should be re- rewarded with. And that's not the case. The rewards and the blessings oftentimes are not physical, if you look throughout 1 Peter, you can see this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Love Christ and you'll have unutterable joy. One seventeen, you have a holy life with fear. You avoid God's discipline. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, you trust God in suffering. You get God's approval. Chapter 3, verse 7, you live considerate with your wife. Your prayers are not hindered. Chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, you resist the devil and you have God's restoration and strength. So it's not the heresy of the health and wealth theology. But instead it's striving for something different. It's showing that you're becoming more spiritually mature to understand that these blessings aren't always physical blessings. Oftentimes they're blessings that are deeper than that. They're eternal blessings that can't rust or destroy, right? They're special blessings that we get to keep for all eternity, Verse 10, he challenges us to keep our tongue from evil and our lips from deceit. Man, we could spend all morning on this one. The challenge for us is how we speak. And I know for me, I've always been quick to jab back the youngest of four kids. I've always had to have that little, you know, statement, you know, just to rip somebody back, you know, that's trying to get on my nerves or trying to put me down. And oftentimes I'm quick to speak, but here we're called to keep our tongue from evil, our lips from deceit. And the only way, again, that this happens is if we abide in Christ. On this scripture uh, Bible reading plan and just yesterday was John 15 that has the word abide in it like 8,000 times in case you miss it the first time. Abide, 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 abide. The only way that you can live this out, the only way you don't repay evil for evil, the only way that you don't speak, you know, speak words of deceit and lies and, and just difficult things to people is by abiding in the vine. You are the branches. You die without the vine. And here we are challenged to keep our tongue from evil. But to me, it also ties in back to verse 8. Again, that shows a tender heart. Different concepts here that he's expounding on. So the initial glance uh, for me in the words tender heart, they don't really sit well with me. Because I, I don't naturally say those things. I, I didn't grow up in a, in a tender hearted family, you know, growing up in Philadelphia where I did. It was just one of those things. You, you had to be a little bit tougher, you know, you had to have some thick skin. And so uh, the idea of tender heart, I don't talk to my boys that way. I got eight and 12 year old boys and I'm not like, no, Noah. You really should have a tender heart toward your sister. Now, I probably should say that, but I just am not naturally inclined to speak that way. So when I thought about it, I thought, man, this is kind of soft, you know? It feels kind of soft when it comes to my thoughts. And, you know, my wife and one of my sons is actually, they would say, gifted or maybe cursed with empathy, high amounts of empathy. And opposites attract. So for me, that's not it. I'm not and God has done a work in my heart and the Holy Spirit has pushed me toward that but it's not natural at all and so for us when it comes to being tender-hearted it's not soft it's actually uh, in reality having a tender heart is simply striving to let Jesus care and compassion come alive inside of us to the point of action it's Jesus' compassion. It's his care and concern. So when I go and, and lead the church in local outreach, that is not my natural inclination. But What it is is the spirit inside who's pushing to say, how about this one? What about these people? What about this one in need? And it pushes us and gives us a tender heart. So in verse 11, he pushes us also to turn away from evil. This brings unity Again, back to verse 8, the unity of mind, turn away from evil. Paul challenges young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22 to flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The idea of running away when you're tempted, when you're involved in sin. It's not the idea of just sitting around and saying, okay, I can do this on my own. I can survive here. I can push it away. No, he's saying run as fast as you can. You young people, college students, just run. I know the difficulty. I haven't been there in a long time, but I still in my mind can picture temptation that I just have to run from. And the idea is to repent, to turn away. The repentance is literally a 180 and walking or really running the other direction, fleeing these passions. Again, when we're told something in Scripture not to do, what, is the, what is happens next? Hey, let's do something positive. P- Peter pushes away from evil toward peace in verse 11. So he says, Seek peace and pursue it. Again, Paul and Peter thinking alike, we can see in Romans twelve sixteen, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, verse eight, humble mind. So the challenge is to think about peace, okay? So let's take a second to dwell on this because God kind of hit me a little deeper with this particular phrase this week as I looked into this passage. So you think about the first command, seek peace. And oftentimes when we come into difficulty in our lives, a difficult person to deal with, whether it's at work or at home or in school, things like that, we seek peace initially. And we feel God calling us to be peacemakers. And so we, we go up against it and we, we have the difficult conversation. We do what need, is need to be done and it's almost like we hit a brick wall. And what we do often in our lives when we hit a brick wall, we hit a challenge or hit an immovable object in the area of peace specifically is we give up and say, well, I tried, right? I did my best. I am confronted. I, I, I went to them and I did what I was supposed to do. And we kind of give up on them. All right, we're done. But Peter doesn't give us that out here. What does he say Next. Two words that have annoyed me all week. Pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. So that's an interesting concept to think about pursuit. And one thing that came to my attention because uh, over the pandemic, I got into this show. And some of you have seen this show. It's called Alone. Alone. And it's one of my favorite shows. They, they take people, 10 different people, and they drop them in the middle of the wilderness. And it's not like those other reality shows where they have a camera crew so they're not really alone and they're not really in danger. Uh, this is where they drop them with cases of their own cameras and they film themselves living in the wilderness with wild animals, including bears and other, other creatures out there outside their tent at night. And they have one button they can push to get out. And so that reminded me of this, this pursuit, because, uh, again, watching this show, spoiler alert, alert, uh, I'm going to mention about this guy, and if you're watching this season, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin it for you, plug your ears. Uh, Basically, is this guy named Roman Welker, and he's this just crazy mountain man you know just leading expeditions for hunting and things like that and he gets on this show and uh, the challenge of the show is to survive as longer than anybody else but you don't know who else is out you don't get an update and say oh five people dropped out only five left you're almost there nobody tells you anything so you're sitting there in the wilderness wondering if you're going to win and the only way you know you're going to win is if you get tapped on the shoulder and they say you won so this dude is trying to make it. He's, he's pursuing this dream and this goal. And he's a big guy and he needs a lot of food and he needs a lot of calories. So he's at a point where he's just surviving on frozen berries that he collected and kept in his stash over here. And that's not going to get the job done. And he talks about it. And it's interesting dialogue in people's heads when they're just sitting there alone in the wilderness. And he says, I got to get meat. I got to get meat. If I don't get meat, I'm not making it. And he's like, the only thing I need to get is a musk ox. I didn't know much about musk oxen uh, before, but apparently they're really large. 750, 800 pounds. And he has a bow and arrow. And he's like, all right, I'm going in. I'm going to get this thing. And he sees one from a ways away, shoots it and hits it. But it's 750, 800 pounds. It's not going anywhere. just, oh, I got a little wound here and he keeps running well this dude's already sapped physically but he has to pursue this animal and run it down but the only thing left that he has he doesn't have another arrow he has a belt knife with a blade about this big and he has to figure out how am I going to get this thing down he has a GoPro on his head and it's one of the most fascinating scenes I've seen on TV he basically runs out to this musk ox, jumps, hits it from one side and runs away. Then he comes at it from the other side, bam, hits it from this side and runs away. And it's just back and forth, just wearing himself out, pursuing this thing that is gonna get him to his goal. And eventually the thing falls over, it's almost dark, he's two miles from his camp, it's snow and ice everywhere, and he has to cut it up, quarter it, get it ready to bring back, so it goes through a whole dilemma, and what he does is he covers it in branches to mask the scent, and he brings what he can, a big old leg on his shoulders, two miles back to camp in the dark, and over the next few days he goes 40 miles back and forth, taking this meat back to his own natural freezer he built. And you know what? Again, plug your ears if you're watching this show, he won. A million dollars this dude won. But he did it at great cost to himself with great pursuit over this meat that helped him survive. Now here's the thing. This story was a long one and it had a purpose. It wasn't just random because I liked the show. Okay? It has a purpose. The idea of us seeking peace is like the people that are losers on the show that literally I've seen them. They just bow out the first day because they heard a bear outside their tent. That's how we look when we stop with the seek peace. But instead, Peter's saying, no, pursue it. Run after it. Go through the wall. Keep praying for that person. Keep pursuing peace in that you live like Jesus lived. And you see results. And sometimes you may not see results, but you're still called to pursue peace. So Peter wraps up this section in verse 12 by revealing the character and justice of God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open in their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I don't know about you, but I don't want the face of the Lord against me. We looked at the end of the passage last week that literally says husbands can hinder their prayers by treating their wives in an inconsiderate way. So There are times where we literally hinder our walk with God because of the things that we do or we don't do. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It doesn't mean that God just abandons us, but oftentimes we can have sin get in the way of our communication with God and his face is against us. So we've seen Elements and encouragement of living out the gospel, now let 's look at the effects of it in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you 're zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And if you're a person reading Peter's words back then and he says that, you're going to have a list a mile long. Who is there to harm you? Hello, Peter. Do you see who we have to deal with? This government around us that's persecuting us, throwing us in jail, hurting, and even killing our family members? There's lots who can harm us, Peter. So what kind of ridiculous question is that? Well, what he's doing is he's pushing them to consider, really, no, who can harm you? You can go to the end of physical harm, and he wants them to go to the end of that and see, yes, what if it ends in death? Did they really harm you? Because if it ends in death, guess what? You get to be with God forever. You get to be in the presence of Jesus so what he's saying is no one can harm you. No one takes you out of my Father's hands. You are in his presence. Nothing can harm you. We're reminded of this in chapter 2, verse 19 of the same book. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You are receiving grace when you suffer. You are experiencing God's power when you suffer. No one can harm you. And then he goes on to say, you will be blessed. Again, a concept of blessing in the same passage here. And he's not talking about physical blessing, monetary blessing. If you look at verse 14, look at it closely at the end. You will be blessed. And what does he say next? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So you're blessed with less fear. You're blessed with less worry as you trust in God through this time. Why? Because of who you belong to. Jesus you're blessed with less fear less worthy worry and the ability to go through this he also points out in verse 15 but in your hearts it's interesting he says in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy it's important for us to see he's not calling for this shallow faith this surface faith that can't make it through suffering and difficulty he's talking about the depths of who you are honoring Christ in all you do that they can see your righteous life. And he gets into that in verse 15 with one of the most iconic statements that we can read in the New Testament. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope in you. So I I got to thinking about that a little bit, a reason for the hope. And it brought me to be thinking about my mother-in-law and my dad. So my mother-in-law, she went through a tremendous battle with cancer. It just just sprung on the scene quickly and literally in six months passed away a few years back. But in the process of this suffering and in the process of her going through this difficulty, I could see hope that she had in Christ, hope that she shared with my kids, hope that she shared with her coworkers as she really faced, barring a, a, an amazing miracle, a death sentence. My dad who who went through a heart attack at 55 years old right after we got married and we fly up to see him from Miami where we were living and we go up to see him and we're in that hospital room and uh, he's in that bed with all these tubes coming out of his, his body and I hear nurses talk about his hope. I hear doctors talk about how he just keeps telling me about Jesus while he's sitting there laying there in a hospital bed. And it's so amazing to watch and and see in people that do these things because he says, uh, We do this, and they start to ask and they're prepared. And it's interesting that they start asking questions of the hope that is in you. But it's important also, he makes it important, this hope, that we do it with gentleness and respect. Daryl Bach points it this way When did hope stop being our witness? When did hope stop being our witness? When did everything else that we were angry at start being our witness? When did all of our frustrations start being our witness? When did like us just typing on social media be our witness about things that we are upset or ticked about or that someone did to us or whatever it was? Or why is it that hope can't be our witness? That things are bad, but I still hope in Jesus. And we can see that that is powerful, a powerful witness. Verse 16 talks about a good conscience. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, when you suffer in a godly way, it brings a good conscience. Oftentimes when we suffer, I know for myself, I lash out or I get impatient, I get angry easier, even at little sufferings in life. But that's not the response we're called to. We're called in a good conscience to suffer well. And then it actually hurts our enemies in a way. It puts them to shame. This concept of suffering well can also be seen in Philippians 1, 12 to 16, where Paul says, you know, I've been chained to different soldiers in and out all throughout the night and day. And as they come in, guess what they get to hear? Jesus. Jesus. So here's Paul writing a book, a letter uh, to the church of Philippi and saying, this has produced great things because the soldiers now at least know of Jesus. So Peter guarantees you're going to be slandered in suffering. Reminds me of Job and his friends, right? The enemy comes at him and his friends come to sit with them, And they sit quietly for a little while, which we'll talk about later, but sit quietly. But then when it's their turn to speak, man, wow great friends Job had. See, there's a cultural lie out there that you can escape suffering. Maybe if you do certain things and you escape it, but the reality is you can't. So we're reminded that because of how you react, God is glorified and shame comes to the enemy. But in our suffering, we're often pulled toward anger, resentment, pain in the sense that we act it out in a way that doesn't honor God, so when it comes to suffering, maybe we could take a moment because I was hit with this this week and maybe some of you can learn from this as well. How do we help or hinder people who are suffering? Candace brought this up to me. My wife said, uh, here's a good concept you might be able to share. And it's the concept of sitting Shiva. It's a Jewish concept. And what happens is when someone goes through a loss or difficulty and they're suffering, friends and family members come to the house and they sit for seven days, 24 hours a day. And they come and sit and they might help here and there uh, prepare a meal or something like that, but they don't say a word about what's going on. They're quiet. That sounds really difficult for me. I don't know about you, but to not say anything for seven days, this is the command they're given they're not offering a solution, just sitting and offering their presence. A commentary uh, that I read pointed to this statement. He says Anyone who has spent time with a suffering friend knows how hard it is to remain present without trying to give answers. It is excruciating to suffer silently with a friend who must uh, rebuild life piece by piece without any certainty about the outcome. Our instinct is to investigate what went wrong and identify a solution, then we imagine we can help our friend eliminate the cause and get back to normal as soon as possible. Knowing the cause, we will at least know how to avoid the same fate ourselves. We'd rather give a reason for the suffering, be it right or be it wrong, than to accept the mystery of the heart of suffering. I don't know about you, but man, I struggle through that. I want to fix things right away. I want to solve them. And even in our marriage, I've gone through times where I I think I've learned this lesson, but I haven't because I want to make things better. I want to get back to normal. I don't want to have difficulty. I don't want things to be out. I want us to be running smooth on all cylinders. And the reality is that's not life. And so for me to be in the spirit, to me to be living Jesus life uh, is the reality is that oftentimes I need to just shut my mouth and sit there and pray quietly. To be with them in the suffering. There's an unknown author that made this quote and I have to be clear. uh, It was attributed to the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, and in the search I did, uh, the images show people that got tattoos with the statement, and Alice around in the Mad Hatter, and they have tattoos that are lies, just so you know. Here's the statement. When you can't look on the bright side, I will sit with you in the dark, author unknown. But the reality is, this is what we're called to. When people are suffering and going through difficulty in our lives, oftentimes we're just called to sit. Now, does God put put people in our lives that can give us a word of encouragement and instruction and point us in the right direction? Yes, we're not just sit there forever. But I know if you're like me, a lot of you may be the same where you just want to speak instead of sit. Now, also for those who are suffering, it's also important for us to remind you that it's not good to suffer alone. You are not meant to suffer alone. You're meant for community. You're meant to be with people who can encourage you and pray for you. But he says in verse 17, he kind of wraps it up here and says it's better to suffer for doing good. And it's God's will than for doing evil. Chapter two, verse 20 says, this is a gracious thing, again, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Again, we're reminded of that. That we're called to suffer in a way that's different. And sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, this is exactly where we need to be. So in conclusion, we have observed various ways to live out the gospel. We've seen unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. We recognize that we cannot do it on our own. It's impossible. But we have come to an understanding that living out the gospel guarantees us times of suffering. It's a guarantee. But here's what that suffering does. It reveals God's unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word that convicts us. Sometimes it's painful to hear things that we need to hear it's important for us to sit in it and realize there needs to be a change. So I pray for those who are acting in a way contrary to scripture, repaying evil for evil, cursing instead of blessing, getting angry instead of being patient. Lord, convict us and allow us to have time even now to confess that to you. Lord, for those that don't know you, have never trusted you, help them to know that as they confess and get things right, that you're willing and able to forgive. Lord, for those who are suffering, Lord, that you will just allow them contentment in the suffering to realize that no, no one or nothing can harm them, ultimately. Lord, for those that, of us that have suffering family and friends, co-workers, that we will have wisdom sometimes just to be quiet. for those who are suffering, that they won't suffer alone, that they will look to those around them for encouragement and strength. We praise you for the time we have to be able to stand and sing together of your goodness and be reminded of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.